We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Early look at FFPC Redraft ADP. That's what we're talking about this week on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretchen from my newsletter, BenGretchenOnSubstack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel, starting at center for... <laughs> you can find all of his great work at Rotoviz. Earlier this week, we talked through tactics and strategy as it relates to some of these early main event and football guys championship drafts over at the FFPC the two running back, two wide receiver, two flex format. We talked about how to think through that, how many running backs, wide receivers, and things you want to hit at various points in the draft, where the pockets of value are, all of those great elements. This time around, we are going to talk about players because this is what we did last year. For those who weren't listening, last offseason, we used to do some topics. We would do kind of an evergreen episode first in the week and then some more player specific stuff with our second episode. We are going to zoom in now and apply some of what we talked about in the earlier part of this discussion on the first episode this week to some specific players. Sean, how you doing? Good. Good. I'm excited for these drafts being available. Seeing the ADP, even if you haven't gotten yourself into a draft yet, just seeing these ADPs start to pop up and seeing the differences between this and best ball is very exciting find some of those exploitable edges, but really just get that redraft fever. And Ben, I don't think it's a surprise that the two first players off the board are the big superstars. Jonathan Taylor from last season, one of the greatest pure rushing seasons that we've seen in a while. Christian McCaffrey, number two, still being drafted on what he did in 2019, but what he did in 2019 was pretty unreal. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to still be drafting on what he did in 2019 when he's like 35. So, I mean, how, how long did it take us to stop drafting David Johnson based on his 2016? Yeah, right. And and David Johnson did it basically only the one year. I mean, he had a pretty good 2015, but Christian McCaffrey has done, uh, showed us more. And in the years where he got banged up, his individual games have still been at the exact same level. I mean, even better. Last year, he was so good as a receiver. If you look at any kind of like, per route stuff i mean obviously tiny sample but just stay healthy just stay healthy and so it can i take it that despite all the shows that we've done on zero rb all of the shows we've done on 
topics that were somewhat like modified ZRB because obviously people love it when we throw that term out. Despite all of those things, and despite the fact that it sounds like you and your first draft have basically gone with a no running backs ever approach, that if you're getting the 101 or the 102, you will be taking Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey? Or not so fast? I mean, I look, I think there's a pretty clear top five this year. And it's interesting as we start to look at these early ADPs, in the early main events that have started, there have been uh, 12 of those that we're looking at. The top five is what I'm going to say, which is those two running backs and the three receivers, Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, and Jamar Chase. You have Travis Kelsey in this tight end premium format going sixth. I think he's the pretty clear sixth option. Then you have Austin Eckler leading a group of running backs that kicks back up in the second half of the first round at pick 107. In the football guys contests early and there have been 74 of those that we are looking at over the last couple of weeks Eckler's going 105 Jace is going 106 Kelsey's going 107 not the way that I would play that but Cup Jefferson and Chase where I'm getting are all very much worthy of top five picks and I don't think I can begrudge anyone who would start with a receiver 101 this year if it's me it's almost because Sean at any other draft spot i don't want to take a running back i don't i want to take stefan diggs towards the back of the first round i'm comfortable if i am going to go running back early with some of the second round running backs or even potentially a third round running back is sort of the anchor some very specific names or just not taking a running back ever uh i don't i don't know if you've heard of that strategy it's a little thing that you just described as not taking a running back ever it's the the official name for this concept is not taking a running back ever never heard it called anything else so if i get the one and two yeah i mean just to kind of diversify what i'm doing a little bit i think it'd be fun to take uh to take a one of those two absolute superstar running backs yeah i think uh, i think i could that's a tough pill to swallow but i think i could swallow it and I think that one of the reasons that you kind of lean that direction is just that you don't always get the 101. You don't always get the 102. Yep. You maybe have some more chances for <laughs> Ben and I specifically did not last year. Uh, you don't always get chances at those guys later, but in individual drafts, and you mentioned that Jamar Chase is actually down below Eckler in the FBG early ADP, that you're going to have some of those players fall. And Jamar Chase might be my top rated wide receiver. I have those three players close. I do mix it up and try and get exposure to all of them. But I've had a chance to draft Chase as late as eight in some formats. And I think that this is one where you'll get that. One of the things that we discussed a lot in the first show and is very important to understand here is that after Jamar Chase is gone, you have eight running backs who are the next you know, 12 picks that we take Travis Kelsey out. So you have the three wide receivers and Diggs, Adams and Lamb in there with Mark Andrews. And for me, Ben, I mean, it's not even clear that those guys are really the players that we should be taking. We love Stefan Diggs. It's a little bit odd to me that he's a first round pick a season after he disappointed last year. There are some red flags that go with him there. I think that he's one of the people who has a false ADP based on Drafters wanting to put him with Josh Allen and wanting to have that week 17 shootout. It's not that that shouldn't be a consideration or that you're making a bad pick if you take Stephon Diggs because there is a possibility that it flips again 
and 22, right? And the fact that Gabriel Davis is out there means that Diggs has a little bit less defensive attention on him. One of the strange things last season is that throughout the first two thirds of the year, the Bills put so much emphasis on trying to get the ball to the guys who were done. And their offense was still very good if you take out that Jacksonville Jaguars game. But Stephon Diggs could bounce back. That said, I mean, he's one of these players who is a little bit of a tentative first round pick. Devontae Adams away from Aaron Rodgers, a little bit of that kind of thing. CeeDee Lamb as the wide receiver six. I mean, you're talking about guys wrapping back around who haven't really done it yet. And so the first thing that we have to kind of figure out what to do with is just the fact that 2022, it really is sort of the haves and the have nots in terms of that first round. If you have a top six pick and can get Travis Kelsey in there, or you have a pick from seven to 12, this has been obviously a focus in best ball, but it's very true also in redraft that it looks like you're at a significant disadvantage. Now, it looked like that way last year too, to an extent when you have Christian McCaffrey as the 101, but then Jonathan Taylor actually fell into the second round. It's a good reminder that we don't know how the season is going to go. It's a good reminder that sometimes your favorite players will actually fall to you at pretty crazy prices, but you have to then go through that and make sure that you do the evaluation and you're not just either chasing points from earlier in the draft or taking the player who's the highest by ADP. I mean, you need to have an approach that is both player specific and structure specific to make it work if you don't have one of those top six picks. Yeah, definitely. And I think the spot I want to jump in here is I want to push back on the digs thing a little bit, but I hear your point completely. I think it's very applicable to Lamb, who I like, but people have been talking all offseason, didn't take the year two jump that we were expecting, and yet he's priced as if he did, more or less, right? I mean, he took a little bit of a jump in targets per out run. He was efficient again after earning the target. He didn't run as many routes as he could have, or I think should have, we all think should have, and it looks like he almost certainly will get that routes bump now. I've said that he looks the most like what happened with Cooper Cup in 2021 in terms of Cup taking steps forward, both in terms of earning targets and in terms of efficiency, but also just finally being a guy who ran routes on 100% of dropbacks because for a long time he was still sort of viewed as this slot guy that would come off the field sometimes sort of oddly. Woods was always the guy prior to 2021 that was out there no matter what. Cup saw that routes bump. Now, the reason he was what he was in 2021 was not just that he added routes. It was that his targets per out run absolutely exploded to a career high. His efficiency exploded up near his career highs, basically across the board. Career high catch percentage, near career high yards per target, very high touchdown rate, potentially a career high. I didn't look at that one. But Lamb has already shown to be efficient after earning the target. I think there's still reason to believe that his, his targets per out run could rise in year three. And he has this potential where he could add routes. So there is some similarities there. You're not going to hear me say that he has the same ceiling as what Cooper Cup did. Although I don't, I mean, it, it wouldn't be insane. I mean, it, it would be insane. I, I don't know how to say that, but it, it would be insane. But also, it, it, it whatever, it could happen. Point. We're talking about 0.5% outcomes now, or I am. But despite all of those positives, he doesn't make a lot of sense at the one-two turn as the wide receiver six. And I think there's this scenario or this out the situation where it's just sort of like there's no one else to take that spot right now. Tyree Kill has fallen back probably rightfully because of the, the changeover to Miami. 
You have Mike Evans going wide receiver seven later in his career. If Godwin comes back, Evans would not be going that high if Godwin wasn't hurt, I don't think, at all. It's mainly just because his, you know, his superstar teammate has a really questionable injury timeline, but that's not comforting in terms of when he could come back and potentially nuke some of Evans' value late in the season. You have Debo, who's got the quarterback change, potentially more run-heavy offense. You have, after that, T. Higgins, Keenan Allen, A.J. Brown, Michael Pittman, a lot of reasons why there's no one else to really take that spot. And that's probably true for Diggs, too, to an extent. I, I agree with you that he's kind of going in the same spot he was going last year, even after a down year. But the only thing that was really different about Stephon Diggs in 2021 was efficiency. His catch rate was way down. And that pretty much impacted everything. He's still seeing the targets. He's still in the great offense. I mean, when I was doing my projections for Buffalo, the note I made was there's clear rebound potential here. And if you just take 2020 and 2021 in conjunction, you're kind of saying, okay, here's the ceiling, here's the floor. But this role is really strong regardless, and he's going to be a very good receiver. And the floor was still very good. That's something you said early in the offseason when I was maybe a little more down on what Diggs did last year because I was so high on him going into last year that you know he was actually still a top 10 receiver, right? He wasn't bad. So I do get where he's going. But some of that is – a little bit of uncertainty in this second round receiver range is third round receiver range, which is part of why we're seeing the running backs really solidify in those areas. I'm still willing to make the bets on the guys like Diggs and Lamb. I'm a little more concerned about Adams, but I'm willing to make that bet as well. Just knowing that these guys are all very good players to the types of profiles we want to target. And the more or less the long-term trends of that, that have me more concerned about running backs. And I think that, gives listeners a good feel for how just fantastically tricky the back half of this first round is because as I'm listening to you discuss that some of the things that are popping out to me are almost the exact opposite and one of the things we get asked for from time to time is to disagree a little bit more we're not ever going to fake that and we're going to give you our our real answers here and it's not exactly that I disagree but just the as you were saying no, that, disagree I, I want to hear it well one of the issues that I've always had with the way running backs were drafted is that you would have these huge tier breaks. And instead of creating an advantage at a different position, drafters simply take running backs who are just not nearly as good and they lose a huge number of points. Now, one of the things that can occasionally happen is that you will have pockets where some type of question mark pushes someone down. And we saw that last year with Jonathan Taylor and Saquon Barkley. And I think the fact that Jonathan Taylor went on to have this magical season and Barkley went on to have this just <laughs> debacle season gives a sense that, okay, well, the Taylor drafters were right and the Saquon Barkley drafters were wrong when really the main lesson there is that both of those outcomes can happen to backs who are kind of in that talent range. If you get a shot at them in the 11-12 spot or wrapping into the second round, then you definitely want to at least consider it. Like you're going to go through again, you know, what are the risks? What's the reward? How do I want to structure this? But for me this season, one of the problems that I've had is that we know that chasing these running backs at the back end of the first round is a very much a losing proposition. And yet at the same time, when I'm comparing Diggs and Adams and Lamb to the drafters who got Cup and Jefferson and Chase, I just already feel so far behind. And it does make me want to at least consider going a different route where I could win on that part of the bet and then load up with a lot of these receivers that I like later. And one of the problems that you have 
if you're a Diggs or Adams drafter is not just that those guys are probably well down from the top three, although not 100% for sure. But then if you come back and are drafting Mark Andrews or CeeDee Lamb, or you have a tight end who could see his volume plummet and a wide receiver who hasn't exactly established himself, the Cup and Jefferson and Chase owners get to draft Debo Samuel and Tyreek Hill. And then in the third round, they get to draft A.J. Brown and T. Higgins. And you know then it falls off a little bit after that. But you, you have these builds that can just be so far ahead if you haven't done something that's a little bit different. And that leads me to the question of, do we chase some of these running backs who have been fantastic but have some red flags knowing that taylor there's the question about the receptions mccaffrey there's the question about health and the question about health obviously extends to all of these guys who are going to have the huge number of touches you can't be a running back and not be exposed to significant injury if you're the workhorse right and the workhorse are especially the guy those are the guys who will go in the first two rounds so you have that risk either way when we're looking at Eckler, when we're looking at Cook, when we're looking at Harris, when we're looking at Henry, there's a, a story that you can tell yourself about each of them that would work out to winning. Obviously, Dalvin Cook has had a huge season in the past and now is into a better offensive situation. Derrick Henry is on this amazing run where, except for the portion he missed last year with injury, he's been able to do it without catching passes, which, again, it just it speaks to what an immense talent he is. Do we want to take... The risk on those guys making the bet that one of them will be the jonathan taylor as opposed to chasing the receiver points but then even the second question off of that would be do we actually just want to chase even though it's first round you know you don't want to lose early but one of the points that has been made about best ball one of the things that i definitely like to do early one of the things that our friend peter overset has mentioned on a number of occasions is that I mean, we're still in this range where these guys are are pretty even, especially after you know the first five guys are off the board. Does it make sense to actually go DeAndre Swift, Saquon Barkley, or Saquon Barkley, Kyle Pitts, even though those guys are not being drafted in the top 14 players to get a little bit of a unique bill, but also just to get the guys you think may actually be the best players? I mean, it's hard to take Saquon Barkley in the first round and Kyle Pitts in the second round if you, you know, know that a month ago Saquon Barkley was in the third round of some formats but if he's the best player at that spot and then kyle pitts is the best player coming back around you know do we want to do that because we're going to get to make third and fourth round picks it's not like some drafters who get better values on barkley and pitts are going to necessarily beat us we have the rest of our roster also to make those plays there's no reason we can't sort of come from behind if you want to say and still win we want the most valuable player at that spot, even if he's not the player who's currently being drafted there. Yeah. So until you went into that Barkley Pitts thing, that, I mean, that that's interesting. And I'm excited to, to get into that. <clears throat> my, my answer was going to be, we'll just get all the first through six picks this year. That's it. That's the show. If you don't get those, then you're done. Um, because when you start talking about Dalvin cook and Derek Henry and saying, we didn't want to chase, with the receivers, I mean, that's what you're doing. You're chasing. I mean, I was, I was getting ready to, to, to swing back. You don't you're think talking about Derrick Henry. Henry. What's that? You don't think Cook and Henry are going to beat those guys? I, I think you're chasing the same way that, that you are with Diggs and Lamb. I, I think we have a different opinion on Diggs and Lamb, and that's fine. Uh, I, I'm a little more concerned about Adams, honestly. I, I've said this to you 
for most of the offseason. I still think just Stefan Diggs can finish with the top three receivers. Uh, call me crazy there. And I think Liam has – I just talked about the Cooper Cup thing going for him. The, the addition of routes, the potential for a target's run bump with Amari Cooper gone, who Cooper hasn't been great, but has been really good at earning volume and been pretty efficient in that Dallas offense the last couple of years. I, him leaving, I, I do think, opens things for Liam in the way that you would very – casually say oh vacated targets or whatever i do think it actually fits with the underlying data so i think lamb has that potential as well but so it's sort of a pick your poison when you talk about those players i I, even after hearing you say that prefer Diggs and lamb and making that bet and and saying they can be in the same tier as the early receivers i think i prefer by quite a bit to making the bet on cook and, and henry and saying that they can be in the positive outcomes for for Taylor and McCaffrey. Although you did lay out scenarios where, you know, if McCaffrey were to get hurt or Taylor, and, and there's just two running backs as opposed to three, those guys might just not be there, the, the top two running backs. It's a little harder to see one of the top three receivers not having an, an amazing season. So that might be part of it too, that there's just more depth and more strength at, at, in that top tier at receiver. Having said that, when you went to – Barkley Pitts, I got really interested because Pitts is a guy we, we've talked about when we went through the different positions, we kind of came around to Pitts is the guy this year at tight end. I mean, you can get him into the third round sometimes. He's a guy I definitely want to have a lot of exposure to. Taking him at the one-two turn in a tight end premium draft might seem a little bit crazy. But if he has that second year explosion that we think is possible, and especially if Travis Kelsey at his age starts to fall off a little bit. I, I'm not particularly high on Andrews. I think Waller and Kittle have s- pretty significant red flags, but are still being drafted fairly high. I've acquiesced and taken them because they, they have the elite tight end potential and they're, but it's a, it's a position where there's not a lot of guys that do. And so they're sort of being drafted because they have potential that maybe their situation on its own merits doesn't necessarily say makes them worth an early draft pick at the opportunity cost, but you don't really have a lot of other ways to try to find that elite tight end potential. What I'm getting at is if Andrews, uh, you know, the offense concerns pull him back a little bit. If Kelsey at his age slows down at all, Pitts could be so far and away the tight end one by taking just sort of a small step forward, but adding touchdowns, right? And, and again, he was 20 years old to start last year, turned 21 in season. What he did last year is just being completely misunderstood, I think. It was fantastic, absolutely elite, even for a wide receiver. So I like where you were going there. I like where you're saying, let's just take the best players. Let's not pay attention to ADP. Saquon, the reason I like it, is he probably is a first-round pick by August. I mean, he's already made this jump. No one's disagreeing. There's still probably some inertia being pulled back from the fact that he was an early third-round pick at a point that's keeping him in the second round right now. As we get more main events under our belt, I bet you he winds up as the the 110. I mean, I I honestly don't think there's much to stop him. We talked about on the last show that the running back depth chart behind him is incredibly, incredibly thin. There's not a lot of reasons to not be willing to buy back into Saquon. Last year's injury, very fluky. Everything I'm seeing from anyone is there. I've not seen any pushback this idea that Saquon Barkley should still be viewed as an elite player. And he was the number one overall pick a couple of years ago, right? And so last year he was rehabbing and there was concern and he was going in this range. That injury was not what lingered. He had a new ankle injury. 
I think by and you talk about Brian Dable taking over the offense and all those things. I think by August we see him in the first round. So the part of everything you said that I do agree most with is this idea that for already chasing so many points at each position, potentially, maybe we should just take the players that we think are the, the potential best players, the, the biggest difference makers. I think I can get on board with the, the Saquon Pitts call for sure. And the other element, Ben, there that is such a big deal is that you actually block pits from falling to someone else in your league. And you put him with the cup Jefferson Chase manager. They've got such a dynamic start. You're going to regret not having that tight end. And as you mentioned, the other ways to play elite tight end early are either too expensive with Travis Kelsey or actually just don't seem to have the upside, even though we know that Andrews Waller and Kittle have been elite for full seasons and definitely over three or four game stretches. So after we get through these first couple of rounds, and one of the things that I kind of had hinted at or alluded to was that the the drafters in the top five, not only do they get those top five guys, but they get some very compelling players wrapping around in rounds two and three, whereas the back half of round three is also quite a bit weaker. When we talk about having guys like T. Higgins and A.J. Brown, Travis Etienne available in the first half, but in the second half, you're talking about dead zone running backs in Alvin Kamara, James Conner, Ezekiel Elliott, Brees Hall. You have Mike Williams, the number two receiver, and still a player that's not exactly proven, even as he heads into his late 20s there with the Chargers in, this, in the back half of it. That leads us to a couple of questions. Again, sort of structure. How are we trying to manage this from a positional perspective when we have a pick in the back half? So then, then that leaves us with this question of both positionally and from a player-specific perspective, what's your path through the late third, the early fourth? How do we get this set up so that we're not trailing managers who had one of the early draft slots? Well, and, and I mean we can sit here and say third round reversal all day long, but I think this really is the key is that second third turn is actually really nice and doesn't feel much different than the first second turn. I was going to say when we were talking about the various wide receivers and I was kind of going back from Diggs and Lamb saying there's no one to come up there and take that wide receiver six spot. The first receiver after the top three that I feel pretty comfortable with where he's at and I'm like, I, I'm very happy to click this name here. No surprise is AJ Brown in the third round. I mean, I, there's people that are very concerned about that. I have reasons to be optimistic, I guess. <laughs> I, I always have reasons to be optimistic about AJ Brown, but I, I won't go into the whole thing. I, I did just recently write about this at Stealing Signals. But Diggs, Lamb, and, and, and the conversation we just had about that, I'm, I'm totally with you about not feeling comfortable with their prices. And so similarly, I also don't necessarily feel comfortable with Tyree Kill or with Debo or even with T. Higgins being all the way up at the 2-3 turn right at 301. Love T. Higgins. You know, again, I feel like because there's a dearth of, of really elite options, you don't have DeAndre Hopkins up in these ranges anymore. You don't have you know, some of those guys aging out that the interesting maybe third-round picks in past years are now second-round picks and late second-round picks are now early second-round picks. And in CeeDee Lamb's case, I think he should be a 2-3 turn guy. And so it does create a, a pretty substantial disadvantage. I, I definitely feel and see feel the same way and see what you're seeing in terms of <laughs> what you can get 
get done through three rounds in the first six picks and those questions at the one, two turn. And then what you can do at the third in the third round as well, being a pretty crucial area to try to catch up with what drafters are able to do in the early third. I mean, my path forward there is DJ Moore. I mean, like, we're, are we just going to do the, the same, <laughs> the same guys? Um, but no, I think like there's, there's receivers that are, that are interesting there. Uh, Moore is one. Mike Williams is still going there. I'm very interested in him. I, I think Jalen Waddle is a better way to play Miami than Tyree Kill at their prices. He's going 404 in these early drafts. I'm very comfortable with him at the 3-4 turn. I'm with you, though. I mean, I don't think these guys belong in the same tier as those early third receivers. I do not want to be getting into James Conner. <sighs> no. Ezekiel Elliott, very clearly no. Brees Hall is an interesting option. You know, if you do start Diggs Lame and you go Brees Hall in the late third as your anchor running back, I can get on board with that. But otherwise, for me, the depth in that range is still in receiver against surprise. Like this, I don't have, you know, great answers here. Mike Williams, DJ Moore, Jalen Waddle, Cortland Sutton, Deontay Johnson are the five receivers from 312 through 407. I'm comfortable taking all of those guys. And so, but they do feel a lot like Diggs and Lamb at the one, two turn where you'd like to be getting a little bit more of a price discount than you are. I mean, Cortland Sutton's going higher than last year and he didn't have a good year. Deontay Johnson has a quarterback change. Jalen Waddle adds Tyree Kill. I mean, we have a lot of reasons to question these. Mike Williams, very good start to the year last year, faded late, going very high. Can definitely see him overtaking Keenan Allen and being the number one for the Chargers. Can see Cortland Sutton being an absolute perfect fit with Russell Wilson, but they're being drafted as if they've already done these things. So it's challenging, but I'm my path forward is I, I'm going to build structurally and, and mostly focus on those wide receivers. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
So you, you kind of already answered this question, but one of the things we did last season on one of our main event teams, because we did want to shake it up a little bit and go through kind of the exercise of drafting in different ways, drafting a little bit hyper-fragile and drafting some different players if we're going to have the you know, 9, 10, 11. That was just the fluky thing that happened last season, but it's, it's always possible it could happen at least to an extent. Again, one of the drafts that we had fun with was when we took Barkley, Taylor, and Swift and two of those players were actually the biggest among the biggest hits at running back for the season. And yet that team was again, one of the weakest that we had, which I think underlines how much a running back landmine early really can take you apart. And then just how much you have to catch up when you're thinking, okay, well now we're going to go very wide receiver heavy. Cause obviously that's what we did. And we drafted almost exclusively wide receivers in the first show of the week. We talked about how some of the, other effects and how it's not just loading up at wide receiver. Now you're kind of chasing at tight end and QB as well. Those are potential problems. And so I'm guessing that your answer is no, but if we're trying to build a team that we think might be unique in terms of the original guys, but then what we would do with it afterward, as opposed to what most drafters did with it afterward, would you be out on a team that started Swift Barkley Hall and then obviously did those things that we talk about in terms of trying to redeem that. Well, Swift, we didn't talk a ton about, and I still think is an interesting one as well. I was kind of pushing back on like, you know, Derek Henry, Dalvin Cook, but I'm not out on taking Swift at the turn and and essentially on the same bet as we made last year after some more positive um, positive feedback to that bet. He's, he's a lot more expensive now, but he could be a very good player full stop and this Lions offense could be a little bit more punchy than we think and we saw some of that last year and they look like they could be even more punchy this year so yeah I mean I think Swift Barkley Hall feels like a lot of risk yes and it I I think let's put it this way I think I prefer to do Barkley Pitts Hall and then Swift Pitts Hall and two different drafts basically right we talked about that just a minute ago about spreading out these exposures and and you just let into all of the issues that starting with those three running backs can have that team that we had last year, I believe we went Hawkinson at that three, four turn as well. Didn't quite get the tight end differentiation that we wanted. And I think that was also a team where we went fields as kind of our upside quarterback. Didn't get the quarterback production that we want, right? Maybe we just missed. I mean, certainly we missed, but it's a, it's harder right? To navigate when you're not drafting an elite player at either of those positions because you're then chasing wide receiver points and everything else. You need to differentiate somewhere. And even having Taylor and Swift and as good as they were, we weren't strong enough in part because of the missed pick on Barkley. Had that been a tight end and we hit on the two running backs, you know, maybe things would have been a little bit different for that team. Had that been an elite receiver that then freed us up to take a more elite quarterback in the sixth, maybe things would have been a little bit different. So I think when I think through that, I can, I can get around the idea, but the three running back start is pretty limiting when you're already working from behind in multiple ways, picking at the end of the draft. Yeah. I mean, I think I would prefer to be going with one of those running backs and an elite tight end before hall in the third. And so as we're kind of working through this, our favorite, builds probably from the back end here would be something like swift Pitts, hall and dj moore or Diggs, Pitts, 
Hall, Jalen Waddle, or mix in another RB. So as we kind of get through it, we work through the names, and this is what you would do if you're obviously in a slow draft. But you get to where you have the right guy, and there are some talented players mixed in there. You'd love to get better prices, but you're not necessarily going to. The beginning of the fourth then is where maybe it, it moves back in your favor. Whereas you mentioned DJ Moore, Jalen Waddle, I think there's a big separation between those guys and say Terry McLaurin, Allen Robinson, Dalton Schultz at the back end of round four. Yep, I agree with that. And I, I would extend that to the five six turn versus the six seven turn, which is I talked a lot about our struggles in, in, in my first main event draft at the six seven turn, picking from an earlier spot. The five six turn, you can still get in under the gun with the you know, Amon Ross St. Brown or Elijah Moore type picks, maybe Rashad Bateman slides down there. Wide receiver really can thin out at six seven. And so you might be able to gain back some value there as well. And you can still wait until the seven eight turn for quarterback, whereas that might be a little bit of a trickier proposition from the earlier spots, trying to wait until the late eighth round if you want to get an elite, you know, top five or top six quarterback. Current ADP suggests that the 7-8 turn from the back spots, you'd be able to potentially get Kyler. Maybe Jalen Hurts is your sort of fallback plan. Those guys are going 7-12, 8-0-1. And so there are, you know, the, the advantages do start to formulate, I think, early fourth, 5-6, 7-8 potentially. And so thinking back to front, okay, if you're going to take the QB 7-8, if you're going to go receiver, receiver 5-6, maybe I can get back to – what you were talking about with taking three running backs early. Um, I still think I want the tight end. And mixing picks in there or Mark Andrews, I, even if you lose a lot of the volume, Mark Andrews is such a big talent and the Baltimore Ravens offense is likely to score so many points that I, you know, it's probably more of a small loss type of pick as opposed to a catastrophic type of pick, unless he gets hurt, which again is something that happened to anyone. So then after those early tight ends, you had mentioned on Wednesday that the Schultz, Hawkinson, Goddard, Ertz, Knox range doesn't appeal to you. That fits with what we know historically, that if you don't get an elite tight end, you actually want to wait through this next section. It tends to be a little bit of a tight end dead zone. Then we start to get, and, and you can go through and you can look at uh, what the Steelers what, Signals tool, for example, and it will show you that those guys actually don't have the profiles that deserve to be picked in that range. Wait, before we move on, what, what do you think about that? What do you think about Hawkinson this year? And do you think Waller and Kittle should be in that sort of tight end dead zone? Well, it, it's a lot easier to see paths for Darren Waller than it is for George Kittle if we're looking at a full season perspective. If we're looking at you know, who's going to give you the week 17 hammer. You know, if you, if you're on a team that doesn't have Samuel or IU exposure, then it becomes interesting again, because Kittle, I mean, he's good for 40 points any given week, even within an overall context that he doesn't have a high scoring season, he can break out for that type of game. And I think that that's important. And that's probably the difference between Kittle and Hawkinson, who I think actually may outscore him for the year, which is that, on a per game perspective, we probably don't think that TJ Hawkinson is going to take passes from Jared Goff and put up 40 points, especially with the rest of the players around him. At least we haven't seen him 
do it yet. Probably doesn't have quite the same run after the catch ability. But again, I mean, so much of what happened last season for TJ Hawkinson, he was very good until he had both multiple injuries that he's trying to play through and is being triple teamed. If you're a tight end out there trying to catch passes from Jared Goff and you have two injuries and you're triple teamed, the numbers that he put up last year are amazing, right? And so from that perspective, if we think that you know, he can stay a little bit healthier. And one of the things that happens with the tight end, similarly to the running backs, is that they do struggle with injuries. And that actually means that the survivors have even more of an impact for you because they're not competing with as many top guys. And so, you know, when you talk about why do the elite tight ends make a difference? Well, you can just look at the points, but you can also look at the fact that the other drafters in your league who went after those points in many cases they fell by the wayside but if hawkinson could stay healthy i mean this detroit lions offense is undervalued and it's not the type of offense where i think that you should take that and go out and draft a bunch of lions in every draft but you should have exposure to at least a lion i think in most of your drafts a lot of different ways that it could play out i'm a little bit higher on jerry goff probably than i should be but i think that it can work out for some of those guys I don't know that this is the best situation to take advantage of TJ Hawkinson though, because there are some other formats where he's just so ridiculously inexpensive that if you want exposure there, I think you can get it. And then you can kind of go back to exposure in FFPC main events, at least right now to some guys in this nine through 13 range. And I mean, one of the kind of strange things for me, Ben, is I, I just don't see a huge difference in the profiles of the, guys in nine through 13 that you're seeing kind of in that dead zone there are some efficiency things that have happened for individual guys who have been drafted early that could happen again one of the things that you and i talk about is you know don't completely fade efficiency and lose out on the information that you're getting there number one from a talent perspective or number two from a range of outcomes perspective especially if any type of receiver situation if part of the talent is coming from the QB. So you're going to have that QB efficiency wash back over some of these top guys, which is, you know, why you see a Schultz, why you see a, a Dawson Knox being drafted up there. But big picture, it makes more sense to take some shots at the later players and assume that the equal or greater talent combined with the equal or greater volume combined with the potential for an offense or a QB to take a step forward. You just have a much greater chance of your your tight end actually outperforming ADP if you go that route. If I take your logic that Diggs, Slam, Adams can't beat the top three receivers, but we're also acknowledging that in the fourth round, DJ Moore, Jalen Waddle give us a much better opportunity to get theoretically a better fourth receiver, even if we went, you know, even if the early guys went four straight receivers than the fourth receiver they could get the five, six turn, I think gives you a much better chance of getting even more receivers, better fifth receiver, better sixth receiver to your goal of six receivers in the top 15. I kind of like that from the back end. So now I'm talking, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at it going, okay, what if we went digs, lamb, more waddle, you know, to your point about the Lions, Amon Ross St. Brown and Elijah Moore or something. And and we I don't think from the front you can give me a six deep wide receiver group relatively close to ADPs that I'm terrified of compared to that. Or basically we're just hoping that the Cup Jefferson Chase 
drafters don't go six straight receivers because there probably is a way that they could do that better. But is that the differentiator that we suck up? Because if we're taking DJ Moore and Jalen Waddle as our wide receiver two and wide receiver three, that advantage of the early fourth round compared to the late fourth round, that advantage of the five, six turn compared to the six, seven turn, we're not really realizing it against someone who's wide receiver heavy in the early spots, but we might be able to realize it if we are wide receiver heavy and acknowledge that we have lost a little bit of the early value of the first round, second round type value. Our top two receivers can't really match your top two receivers in most outcomes, but our top four might be able to match your top four. Our top six might be able to match your top six. And you may have to do that because I guess I would be concerned about the seven, eight and the nine, 10 turns in that once Devonte Smith is gone at wide receiver 39, which in many drafts, that's actually going to fall to you at the seven, eight turn. But if you're in a wide receiver heavy draft, and if you've contributed to it yourself by selecting those wide receivers, then he may not. We're looking at an area that I do think it flattens out again, where the next guys, Kadarius, Tony, Christian Kirk, Alan Lazard, it's hard to see them as contributing to that top six or six in the top 15. It's they're slightly more floor types of plays. And then you wrap back around in the nine, 10, that ninth. And, and one of the things you can do is simply to reach and you probably should, but you have, you know, Burks, Moore, Claypool, but then back at the back end of that, you know, you're looking more like Tyler Lockett, Olave, have MVS who's going late in the 10th, but might be an option there. You had talked about how you can go Garrett Wilson. I think that the thing that you have to do if you have a slot in seven through 12 is either a do what you just described, which I think does have a lot of advantages or B make sure that your draft approach from the middle rounds on is very rookie heavy. I think that Ben, we've talked about so many different elements of this, but before we kind of leave it at the, player specific level we probably do want to at least mention again this idea that coming off of what we have seen as trends from the past several years and the way that rookies have been annihilating adp in so many instances that the early adp here and the early opportunity you're being given really is at the rookie wide receiver position yeah Traylon burks and sky Moore are going early ninth alave is going late ninth garrett wilson's going in the middle of the 10th Garrett Wilson's the one that makes just almost no sense. I mean, he was the 10th overall pick. We loved him pre-draft as a community. He was in the top three receivers, Burks, London, Wilson. He gets that draft capital. The only argument is landing spot, which we've learned over the years you should not be concerned about. But at the same time, drafters are buying into Elijah Moore's year two situation, and it's the exact same situation, right? They're taking him in the sixth round. As this year two breakout, he's a very good prospect in his own right who had a very good rookie year. I'm not saying not to be into Elijah Moore, but if drafters are not so concerned about the Jets' passing offense that they're fading Elijah Moore, they're taking him basically as this year two breakout, and I think correctly, then then you can't really justify why Garrett Wilson is going behind Alave, behind Sky Moore, who we love as well, but those guys are also undervalued. I mean, the whole thing is is very silly to me. Um, Burks has had the bad OTAs and, and, and all this stuff, and, and he's fallen a little bit, and yet he still remains a round and a half higher than Garrett Wilson. I still want to take Burks. I want to take Sky Moore. I also want to take Wilson at this price. 
this, yeah, this is a, I mean, we, we buried the lead a little bit in this player specific discussion where this is where there's a ton of, even Drake London in the seventh with the other receiver profiles that you're looking at, there is so much upside that, uh, some of the guys going before, I mean, Russell Gage is going in the late sixth. Maybe I'll be wrong on Russell Gage again. I've talked about being wrong about him before, but I'm taking Drake London over Russell Gage pretty much every day of the week. I mean, there's a little bit of the have and have not stuff here going on. Obviously Tampa's offense is one we want to target and, and Atlanta's passing game, maybe not one we want to be heavily invested in, but from Drake, London, Traylon Burke, Sky Moore, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, this top five wide receiver, rookie wide receiver group. It's a really nice area to, to then add some firepower to whatever your early wide receiver build is. And so to close things out, we probably have to discuss what that means then for quarterback. Because if we think that eight through 10, maybe eight through 11 is stronger now than it will be in a month. We have to be concerned about the fact that going with a, a later QB actually overlaps with some of those potentially elite picks, and that might push us up a little bit more in the direction of considering a Josh Allen or a Justin Herbert or a Patrick Mahomes. Now, probably not those guys because they're going in rounds four, five, and six respectively, although there could be flat areas in there. But Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow in rounds seven and eight do you feel yourself taking them a lot more or being a lot more pulled in that direction because round nine and 10 are so strong? Or are you thinking to yourself, actually Derek Carr is in 12, Aaron Rodgers is in 13, Justin Fields is in 15. Why don't I get two of those three guys? I The, the former for me, especially when you're talking about Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray still sitting at QB4 and QB5. And I am getting coming around on Jalen Hurts quite a bit as well uh, at QB6. Lance at QB10, we've already talked a lot about on the show, and I'm, I'm very excited about it as well. I think he'll rise. You, you think he'll rise. We, we've both discussed him, um, but I suspect he'll wind up in this QB7, QB8 range. And so it's like, okay, I can get an elite rushing quarterback. Really, it's Lamar and Kyler, but Hurts or Lance is sort of the consolation prizes in the 7-8 range, which is where I kind of expect, or I expect Lance to be in that group. Maybe they'll be in the 6-7, like you were saying. They might continue to rise. But as long as we have Lamar and Kyler in the seventh round, the difference between Hunter Renfro as a wide receiver going in the seventh round, Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, and you know Garrett Wilson, I want the Lamar-Garrett Wilson combo over the DeAndre Hopkins-Tom Brady combo. I mean, I don't think I have to say that out loud. <laughs> I think anyone who's listened to this show or knows me or knows us at all knows that, you know, that's that's just more fun. Have some fun. Yeah, that is a very fun draft. And it gives you that extreme weekly upside. It gives you the seasonal upside. It gives you the tournament upside. I have had some good luck in the past with some very deep QBs in tournaments. So I'm not completely against that. I'm, I feel a pull to Derek Carr if he's going to be after the group of players that I'm really targeting, which is around 11. You're still, Jacoby I, I Myers. Like You're I Jacoby Myers, Derek Carr. <laughs> and I feel like I have to, you know, pick up the flag for, for Justin Fields and, and hold that up for you so that you know, you're not having to, to do that yourself. And Mac Jones, round 19. The fact that Jacoby Myers is their number three receiver, maybe their number four. I mean, Mac Jones has 
weapons now, right? Derek Carr and Mac Jones. Derek Carr and Jared Goff and Mac Jones are your top exposure quarterbacks. You heard it here on Stealing Videos. <laughs> That's how. I I mean, you're going to be right because you're a sorcerer, but I, Jared Goff and Mac Jones are going to combine for 15 rushing yards this year. So enjoy their weapons. I I didn't Mac Jones rush for like a, an 80 yard touchdown on the Pro Bowl. <laughs> I have no idea. I didn't watch the Pro Bowl. It's uh, it's always a legitimate contest when Mac Jones is your Pro Bowl quarterback after his 2021. Season. I hope that happened, and I also hope that you were seriously bringing that up as a reason to to be in on Mac Jones. One of the things I do like about QB is that you have so much flexibility now, and that element of it, I think, allows you to go best player available as you go through. You know, best player available doesn't necessarily mean that much in some contexts, but I think that one of the things that we've seen here is that there isn't necessarily the trade-off between structure and grabbing your guy that sometimes is made out. I think that we can go after the players that we really like and make the rest of the draft work for us. I do like the fact that there are some interesting late QBs if you misjudge it and miss right one of the things that we did last year was we did have one main event then where we did miss on joe burrow late and it was really late and we thought he was going to have a huge year we did get him on some other teams that helped us you want to be aware of pushing it to the extent that you miss your joe burrow but the fact that Derek carr and justin fields are there late i think does give you some flexibility if you're in that range that 9 10 11 Take a little bit of a risk. The fact that you're not drafting a QB will have at least a subtle effect on pushing some people down. Sean, Mac Jones ran for 129 yards last year. You might be able to get me on board with him. It's late as he's going. Four full rounds after Jared Goff. We'll have more Mac Jones discussions down down the down the road. He's gonna be he's gonna be the, the 2022 Joe Burrow, is that right? I mean, if he can run for I honestly thought he was like literally like a 30 yard rusher. I mean, I, I, I know him running for 130 yards doesn't change it, but I think New England as a team could be a little better this year. I'm not completely out on the Belichick, you know, coaching tree and coaching experience. I don't think they're completely that dust. And it would be, uh, it, it, it wouldn't be, I, we were talking before the show about how some of these young QBs, benefit from good coaching i think mac jones probably one probably part of why he ran for 130 yards is they're coaching him when he sees certain looks and understand hey look take five yards and slide and that's still a you know an okay play in this scenario if you make this quick read and this guy didn't win on this route or whatever and so you know if he can run for 150 brady always did that if, if mac jones can run for 150 maybe 200 yards as a ceiling it's not nothing it's not jared goff but i i am under the impression and I may just be making this up, but that Mac Jones was an elite junior tennis player. So, I mean, this dude's an athlete. He's going to be able to, to get some things done here. Apparently in great shape, too. Best shape of his life. I saw a picture of him. He's, like, actually put on muscle. There's the famous picture after he won the national championship at Alabama where he's just got his shirt off and he looks like a dad. But apparently he's, you know, building out a, a little form, which is good to see, you know. Reminds kind of like Matthew Stafford came out of college as kind of, a college boy and then worked on his body over the years and has gotten, you know, pretty fit. And uh, maybe, maybe Mac Jones is a 
better athlete than I'm giving him credit for. So we've had some fun with these QB selections. Late, we've gone through how you can craft some paths through the early part of your draft. Then we talked about the running back dead zone in detail on the Wednesday show. It's been so much fun doing these with you. We'll have some more theme-based shows over the next uh, month, month and a half. We'll also have more of our individual one-off types of content. We enjoy doing those with for you as well. I'm Sean Siegel. With me as always is Ben Gretsch. You can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals and get more great info like the recent article on A.J. Brown and targets per route run. Join us over at Rotoviz. You can get a coupon code for 10% off your one-year subscription just by plugging in RV Radio 2022 at checkout. We also love to have you as a subscriber to the feed. Leave us a rating and review. The Ceiling Bananas community has been fantastic, raucous, and gets more amusing, I think, every week as I follow some of the shenanigans sort of uh, through Column and Ben here. We thank you guys so much. We'll talk to you soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.